Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Wednesday, February 7th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and coming up on the show today... We'll speak to the American Legion's Melvin Brown about the importance of volunteering at VA medical centers. It's something you can do through the Legion to help out your fellow vets and help them out in a big way. And we'll speak to the president of GruntFit. What is GruntFit? Well, it's the fitness app brought to you by our friends over at GruntStyle that's being called a drill sergeant in your pocket. That's right. This is a little bit different from the other fitness apps that are out there. This one's telling you what you need to do, not telling you what you've already done. Helps with planning meals and all sorts of other stuff. We're going to talk to Tiffany Allen Hampton about that coming up in just a little while. And of course, so much more. And let's start now by looking at something that's taking place in the headlines. I saw breaking news as I came in this morning. Uh, didn't see it last night. I'm not feeling great, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> last night, all of a sudden, started feeling a scratch in my throat. Now I'm all stuffed up. And it's the life of the father of a young child, a five-year-old. They're Petri dishes with feet. They're mobile disease laboratories. And they bring all sorts of stuff. And the funny thing is... They get it first, but it doesn't affect them. No, 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 no. He's still flying around the house at full speed while I'm basically just laying on the couch, holding my head in my hands going, oh my God, it hurts so much. And uh, woke up this morning and all stuffy up in my nose. But, you know, what are you going to do? A little, little stuffiness, a little scratchy throat. Had a, I would say it never killed anybody, but I'm pretty sure there have been quite a few people who've died from scratchy throats and stuffy noses. You know, is what it is. The breaking news that I mentioned when I came in that I saw is that the Pentagon is saying that President Trump ordered a military parade in Washington, D.C. This is going to be an interesting one to see how people uh, respond to this. I mean, I'm seeing it up. It's up on CNN right now. Uh, That's the only station. We have tons of TVs here. But right now, outside of my studio window, that's the only one I can see. I mean, what do you think about that? For me... Eh, I'm not too big into parades personally, especially ones where the participation is mandatory. You know, like the uh, the Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City. I went to it a few times when I was a kid. It's it's a nightmare because of all the people that are there. It's also Thanksgiving. It's cold in New York City on Thanksgiving most years. Um, so it's fun for a kid to see the giant balloons, but it's also just a pain to get in there. And the older you get, the less, the less you want to do it. And the people who are marching in that parade, though, they are either paid to be there, like, uh, you know, paid by various companies that have the floats that are going through the parades or holding the balloons, or they volunteered to be there. Uh, military parade, they would be forced to be there. <laughs> Make no mistake. This is not going to be optional. It's not going to be like, okay, if you guys want to show up to the parade, you can. If that were the case, 
Ain't nobody marching in a parade in Washington, D.C. in uniform. That's not something uh, that, that happens voluntarily in the military. Again, think of the acronym NAVY. Never again volunteer yourself. So this would be a requirement. You know, a bunch of units would do it. The other thing that I don't particularly care for about the parade idea is the fact that this is kind of what they do in uh, places that have very different ideologies from our own. You remember, of course, well, if you're as old as me, you remember the, or older, there are people out there who are older than me. You remember the Soviet parades where they'd have their uh, tanks and all their trucks and their missiles and all that stuff going through uh, Moscow, going through Red Square. Of course, that continues on today uh, to a lesser extent in China and to a greater extent in North Korea, who are always, always having some sort of military parade, it seems. You know, every time I check in on North Korea, it seems like there's some giant parade with ballistic missiles on trucks going through uh, um, Pyongyang. You know, the funny thing about that is the last big military parade where they had uh, these b- mobile ballistic missile trucks and they, you know, they were showing those off because that was the, uh, the thing that they really wanted to have there. Some of the military's experts were able to look at the, the mobile vehicles that were moving those missiles around and saw that some of the, uh, the, the panels on the side of the trucks, and we're talking, uh, Jake has just joined us in studio after taking care of some stuff, talking about the possible military parade that the president may have ordered the oh. Pentagon to do in Washington, D.C. And I'm saying, one, uh, it's going to be mandatory because if it's voluntary, it ain't going to be no one going to show up. Parade. Yeah. Um, so I don't particularly care for that. And then the fact that it reminds me so much of uh, the Soviets marching in Red Square or the North Koreans marching every week, it seems, in Pyongyang. Uh, and then got on to the fact that the last time the, the North Koreans had a big military parade, I think it was on their... Uh, Independence Day or whatever they call it, uh, that there were these trucks with ballistic missiles and the the photo experts, which uh, I've been trained in a little bit of this, but these guys were hardcore. They knew what they were looking for. Saw these ballistic missile trucks, realized that the panels on the side were welded shut. So the panels that would actually allow them to fire a missile were welded shut. (laughs) And not only that, they were able to look at the tires on the vehicles and say like, oh, there's almost no weight on these tires. So the ballistic missiles on the back, they were just hollow. It was like made out of like tinfoil, basically. Ah, poor little Kimmy. Would you be interested in marching in a military parade, highlighting different units in our nation's capital? Is that something that you'd be like, okay, I could do that once and kind of think it's cool? Or would you want no part of that? I could. I think I could do it once if it's cool. I mean, I, I am, like you said, I'm a little uncomfortable with the idea because it's the kind of things that, you know, dictators do to say, look at how strong we are and we are legitimate. But, yeah. you know, I think I could do it. It sounds cool. I think... Having just regular parades, like, uh, you know, there's a Memorial Day parade in the town of Clinton, Connecticut, where my mother's from, that uh, we like getting to when we can, when we're up there for Memorial Day. Uh, my mother took a great picture of uh, Navy from uh, Groton, New London, marching in the parade. Uh, you know, some Navy, some sailors in uniform marching. Got a picture of me sitting there with my son as we watch the sailors walk by. It's, <laughs> it's framed. It's up there. It's like, hey, 
so you can almost hear me telling him he was probably two years old at the point, but like, I used to be one of those, you know, I used to wear those bell bottoms and the Dixie cup and you know, all the dress. I whites. can just picture you as the old guy out there telling you, you know, square away your uniform sailor. What do you mean? Picture me as the old guy out there doing that. That's pretty much what I do in here every day. <laughs> just yelling people about squaring away. I, I yell at everybody. The guys over at the fan, the sports station here, I'm always telling them, Hey, you better square away. You're talking about sports. Talk more about the Mets. That's what I tell them, but they're all Nationals for, fans. Yeah, for so. some reason, they don't want to. No, may have to do with the fact that Nationals Park is like two blocks away from here, and you can almost see it out of our studio window. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting, this, this parade idea. Again, not something that I think I'd want to do. I, I marched in a... A metric ton of parades. I think that's how you measure parades is yeah. by the metric ton. As a kid, I was in the Sea Cadets. And the Sea Cadets, uh, the unit that I was in, Dealey Division in Stamford, Connecticut, we marched in the Thanksgiving Day Parade in Stamford, the city that I'm from. We marched in Memorial Day Parades every year. Uh, the Memorial Day Parades, there, were, there was one or two of them that were mandatory. Like, you had to go to it. And if you missed it, if you or you, someone in your family wasn't on their deathbed, Captain Mack, who was the uh, the commanding officer of our Sea Cadet unit, give you the old heave-ho from the unit if you yeah. didn't show up to the parade. Um, it was something that, you know, when it's mandatory, it becomes a chore. Yeah, like, that's... Eh, I gotta do it. I didn't, didn't particularly want to, whereas some of them, I remember the first uh, the first Thanksgiving Day Parade in Stamford, Connecticut, or they called it the Holiday Parade, I think, and it wasn't on Thanksgiving. It was like a, before that, I think, a couple weeks before uh, so it actually was not a Thanksgiving Day parade in any it, way, it shape, or form. It was like the Thanksgiving parade, but they didn't want to have it. You're, you're 30, 40 minutes from New York City. You're not competing with the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. Right. Everybody's going to stay home and watch it. So they would do it at a different time of the year. But it had the big balloons marching through, like a giant Garfield balloon and all that stuff. That was pretty cool, like the first time we got to do it. And then I think the first or second time, though, it was freezing rain because, oh, yeah, it's Connecticut in November, <laughs> and it was miserable. Uh, winter parades in particular, not very good. But, yeah, I just, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people would want to do it. I don't know what we would get out of it. And, again, parades, when they're voluntary, when it's not just the military, when it's, you know, I was talking about the one in Clinton where you've got the fire company. It's a small town, and all the people who do a lot of great work for that town. That's what the that's what the parades tend to highlight. The firefighters, the police, the uh, boy and girl scouts, the uh, the military units who happen to be in the area who come through and take part, uh, the marching bands from the schools. It's kind of highlighting uh, people involved in different organizations and groups that um, – maybe don't get all that much attention normally. I, I like that. The military, we get plenty of attention. And uh, marching in a parade is, yeah. Just, I don't see the point. Yeah, you're right. And if it became mandatory, then it'd be like, oh, gosh. Oh, it's, it, it would be mandatory. Yeah. And it looks like, uh, you know, I mean, if the president ordered this, and they're probably going to, uh, the Washington Post first reported it, said that the president wanted uh an elaborate parade this year, soldiers marching, tanks rolling, no date has been expected. Um, however, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee says that President Trump wants the Pentagon to explore a celebration. And this is where, again, the media thing comes into effect, where it's like, oh, the president demanded that we do this. And then the president uh, spokesperson is saying, you know, he asked them to explore a celebration. That's like with the, the Pentagon looking at uh, banning all cell phones and personal electronic devices after that fitness app uh, kind of, what is going on with my phone? Stop messaging me, people. I'm live on the air. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Um, the 
the Pentagon saying, hey, we're going to look at banning personal electronic devices in the Pentagon. And then, you know, some in the media reported it as like Pentagon bans all. No, they're exploring it. So according to the press secretary, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she says that they're exploring a celebration. Uh, whereas, you know, you've got uh, Military Times headlines says Pentagon says Trump ordered Washington military parade. Um, Pentagon spokesman said Pentagon officials are aware of the request and looking at options. That seems to me like it could be a little bit of a misrepresentation. Did he order the parade or did he ask them to look into whether it was feasible? Those are two very different things. You know the media, they have to sensationalize everything. They do. And we talked about that yesterday, and I'm actually working on my my latest op-ed after the last one. Uh, you know, People seem to take interest in it <laughs> in one way or the other, whether calling me, a, uh, <laughs> calling me all sorts of names or saying, hey, I really liked what you wrote there. Uh, more of the latter than the former. But this uh, Afghanistan veteran that we talked about yesterday that's being right. deported... I started looking into that more after we got off the air because as we discussed it on the air, you know, it, it became clear to me uh, that you and I both had some questions about the story that weren't being answered by the stories I was looking at. So I looked into them a little bit more. Here are some of the things that I found out. Oh, goody. He pled guilty to trying to sell less than 100 grams of cocaine to a law enforcement officer. That was a plea deal. So that's the crime he was convicted of. According to prosecutors, he had over two pounds of cocaine wow. in that briefcase. So this is not like a low-level drug transaction, despite the fact that he was convicted for a crime of less than 100 grams, when in reality he had, uh, what's what's two and a half, I think it was two and a half pounds, which is like... Like four kilos? Yeah, something like that. I'm not, you know, I'm American. Four I don't deal with that metric system mm, nonsense. It, it's four keys, man. Yeah, well, you seem to know a lot about the weight of cocaine, Jake. We'll have to talk about this after the show. So I there, confirm or deny nothing. There was that issue. And then I, we were talking yesterday, and they said that he deployed twice to Afghanistan. And this was something that I don't really blame the reporters uh, too much because, one, they might not understand it. And, two, uh, even if they – so if they don't understand it, they might see it one way and not look into it. They said two deployments to Afghanistan, but then – the only timelines that I saw, and maybe there is a, a something else out there that I just haven't been able to find, because boy, it took a lot of digging to get all the details on this story uh, out. It was a deployment from October 2002 to April 2003, so that is about what, six months? Yep, somewhere six, in there. Six months. And then May 2003 to October 2003, another six months, basically. Here's my question for you, Jake Hughes, and yes. I think I know the answer. When people deploy in the army to Afghanistan or Iraq for a year, in the middle of those deployments, aren't they often given the opportunity for like 15 days or so of R&R leave? At the start of after two months, they begin mid-tour leave where soldiers have the option of taking either 15 days at home or they can spend like four or five days in the green zone. So yeah. yes, they can go home. Yeah. So this was not two deployments. I mean, no. think, let's look at this logistically. If he's there from October 2002 to April 2003, right? And then that deployment ends. You've deployed with the Army. What's the process of going back home? How long does that take to it's, get back home, get everything turned in, get all your stuff done? Several months. Several months. According to this timeline, he was back within sometime within a 30-day time frame, 60 days at the most. It doesn't give you the official days. It just says to April 2003, and then he was back there in May. So let's say he was there, went on leave in uh, on April 20th, 2003. 
15 days puts you into early May. Hmm, does that match up? Yes, it does. Here's another question for you. What's the prep time for uh, an army unit getting ready to deploy? Again, months. So is it at all possible in your estimation, and, and again, I'm, I was in the Navy and I was an individual augmentee, and we were told we were not eligible for the, uh, the army <laughs> in the middle. They were like, no, 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 no. The army gets that. You guys don't get nothing. You're here until you go home. My time ended up being less than a year because of, uh, well, we've already talked about all the stuff that happened where I found out I'd be getting out of the Navy, uh, not by choice, while I was in Afghanistan. So it was uh, an interesting situation, and my general decided, like, you know what? I'm going to cut your tour a little short because if they say they don't want you, I don't want you over here risking it all. So there you go. Uh, it was nice of him. Is it at all feasible that someone deployed twice within a calendar year in a regular army unit, this is not a Green Beret or Ranger Battalion or something like that, is it feasible that you would deploy for six months, come home for a, a month, and then deploy again? No, not in the least. So what's being talked about as two deployments, and who put that out there? I would guess it would be the lawyer who was saying, like, oh, look, he did two deployments. They're trying to make him as, as sympathetic a character as right. he possibly can, and that's what uh, my op-ed is going to be about. It's going to be about not... Not the immigration issue, because that's something that you can have your own discussions on that. I have my thoughts and opinions on it, and they don't have much to do with me being a veteran. So there you go. That's not going to be something I write about. But it is going to be about, hey, give us all the details on these stories. Don't hide stuff from us. Because when you hide stuff from people and then it comes out, it looks even worse than you thought it might have at the beginning. And it seems to me that some of these omissions, particularly the drug conviction, it's a felony drug conviction, even though... He pled down to less than 100 grams. It's still a felony. So the headlines are two-time deployed Afghanistan veteran uh, facing deportation. What about this headline? Afghanistan veteran convicted felon faces deportation. Are you going to be as sympathetic to that headline? <laughs> nope. Nope. So that's why they're doing it. It's, it's omission, I think, intentionally. I mean, clearly they know what the drug conviction is, and they're not including it in a lot of the stories. And the story where I where I did first see it in the Chicago Tribune, 10 paragraphs into the story is where they mention the felony drug conviction. And they also talk about, you know, prosecutors say he had a lot more than 100 grams. Well, the prosecutors say he had two and a half pounds. Give us the specifics. That's that's a lot. You know, if you tell people, if you tell people like, well, this guy stole a lot of money. And then it turns out that he stole a billion dollars. That You need to be more specific. Give yeah. the details. Give people information and allow them to make their own choice. So you would probably think, and I would assume, that those uh, omitting the details probably have uh, a political stance that they, uh, that they are following, basically, on the immigration issue. And they're conflating this one with that. But it's... Uh, you know what? If you're if you're leaving stuff out and people find out about it, it's not going to help your cause. It's not. If you think hiding it, you'll you'll hide it from some people, but there're going to be other people who figure it out and who see the stuff. And it's very interesting to see, you know, these these stories from major news organizations which barely touched if touched at all on the felony drug conviction that's leading to his deportation, nor did they touch on the fact that he became a uh, um, legal permanent resident in 1989. In 1994, he became eligible to apply for citizenship. He didn't join the military until 2001. Seven years before he joined the military, he had the opportunity to apply for citizenship. Never did. 2001, until he was arrested in 2008, including his time in the military, never did apply for citizenship. Now, had he done that and gone through the process, he would have been done by now. And guess who wouldn't be being deported? 
This guy. Yeah. Miguel Perez Jr. would not be being deported because he would be American citizen. Miguel Perez Jr. And then the, the, the icing on the cake, the little cherry on top of that icing maybe, is the fact that you then find in uh, one or two of the stories, not many of them, those people decided to look into his military service and find out, oh, it was removed for a drug infraction. Uh-oh. So again, you know, they're trying to make him a two-time deployed Afghanistan veteran. He's an army veteran. Look at him. He served in the, and it doesn't say, you know, honorably discharged because he wasn't. He was given a general discharge, which, uh, you know, he's lucky. A lot of people get uh, yep. worse than that for a drug discharge, but getting kicked out for drugs. And then a few years later, getting caught trying to sell two pounds of drugs. And they're trying to make him out to be like Audie Murphy, this patriotic symbol of everything. That, no, this is someone that was kicked out of the military for drugs. This is someone who got out as a private first class who did like two, three years in the army. This isn't a career soldier that it's, it's, I don't like the misrepresentation when it just to, to fit a narrative. Basically, that's why they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. And it's that's a problem. I'm not gonna we're not gonna get into this, but it's a problem with the media as a whole. But I think this guy, like you said, this guy. This guy, he's not he's not uh your average veteran. Your average veteran is honorably discharged. Your average veteran doesn't get kicked out for drugs. Your average veteran doesn't then go on to sell two pounds of cocaine to a, a undercover officer. Yeah, this guy had every opportunity to become a citizen. He had every opportunity to yeah. do the right thing, and he never did. Yep, seven years before he came into the military, he was eligible to apply. Never did. And there are various reasons that people don't. Sometimes it's uh, like I knew people uh, when I was a kid who came over from England and were legal permanent residents in the States, but they were proud English people. You know, they were working in the United States and then eventually they did go back to England, but they didn't want to renounce their British citizenship for American citizenship or anything like that. Uh, and, and that's fine if you don't want to do that. However, then if you go on to commit a crime, specifically a felony, your butt's out, man. You're done. You're gone. And it doesn't matter what job you did. And let's be very clear. That's what a veteran is. It's someone who did a job. Now, it's an important job. It's a job that holds very special meaning to me and to many other Americans. It still is a job. And the fact that you did that job previously doesn't preclude you from, from the facing law. the same issues that anyone else would. Any dr convicted drug felon who's not an American citizen is going to be kicked out of the country, whether they're a doctor, whether they're a lawyer, a soldier, a mechanic. It doesn't matter. It's You're going to be kicked out. And good luck, good luck finding me the politician who says, oh, yeah, I'd like convicted felons who are not uh, citizens to be able to stay inside the country. Even the most pro-immigration uh, politician isn't going to say that because that's going to lose them a lot of votes, with the exception of, in this case, where you do have some people uh, rallying behind him, not too many big politicians because I think they see uh, the, the details of the case. And when those come out, you know, if you had... Uh, I don't know. Pick one. If you had the president saying, let's let this guy stay in the country, and then the details come out like, oh, the convicted drug felon, that doesn't look very good for you. No. And again, those details are coming out, and they've been out there in certain publications, but in others, no, this is just an Army veteran with, again, two deployments to Afghanistan, not necessarily. Oh, Army veteran, great guy, kicked out of the Army for drugs. Minor drug transgression, turns out he had two and a half pounds of cocaine. I mean, it just it keeps going on, and... I, you know, it, it, they make it almost sound like he got caught with a joint. 
Oh, this poor soldier. He was just hanging out. Minor drug transgression. A minor drugs transgression is someone who has like personal use marijuana. That's a minor drug transgression. Someone who uh, maybe has somebody else's uh, pills that they took. That can be a very serious one. Two and a half pounds of cocaine can kill a lot of people. That can ruin a lot of lives. It can do a lot of things. But it's being talked about as though it's like, oh, almost like an open container. Like he was just, oh, he's walking around with an open beer. Nah, a little bit nah, more than yeah, that. yeah, not so much. A little bit more than that. But, uh, you know, so I'm working on that op-ed, and that'll be coming out soon on ConnectingVets.com. And we've got a whole bunch more on the website right now. Headlining, U.S. airstrikes continue in Yemen as war rages. What your VA priority group really means. Immigration defense funding. There's a possibility of another government shutdown. Oh, Lord. Seems less likely this time heading into it. Uh, I've heard a lot of politicians on both sides saying, no, we don't We don't think there's going to be another shutdown because it didn't work out very well for, uh, for anybody the last time. And, uh, you know, even though it only lasted for a couple of days, it still wasn't good. Um, you know, we've also got... Wisconsin seeking to become the first state with veteran alert system. The veteran suicide rate is more than double the national suicide rates uh, and state suicide rates with veterans. Wisconsin is uh, looking to actually put into place a green alert system to help law enforcement and loved ones locate missing vulnerable veterans. It's modeled after amber and silver alerts. Uh, pretty interesting idea, and we'll keep an eye on what's happening out there in Wisconsin. And you can find out the details on that by heading to ConnectingVets.com and, of course, following us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Still to come on today's show, it's Wednesday, and that means it's American Legion Day on the morning briefing. We're going to talk to their Melvin Brown, and Melvin's going to talk to us about volunteering at the American Legion. Jake, you go to the VA Medical Center. How helpful are the volunteers there in helping you find your way around or find different people? Insanely helpful. They help you navigate the maze of that place. Yeah, and you know what? They're more important now than ever because the VA, it's underfunded. Well, maybe not underfunded, but certainly understaffed. And they are doing important things there. Also, the president of Grump Fit coming up after that. Morning briefing back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. Our next guest is the president of the GruntFit app. She is Tiffany Allen Hampton, and she's an Army veteran and current doctoral student. Now, after serving in the military as a property accounting technician, she decided to pursue a career as a supply chain professional managing large projects for a Fortune 100 company, but quickly realized that her truest passion lied within empowering others to become better. That's what led her to join the Grunt-style team about a year ago with a mission to create a fitness application that simply told users what they needed to do to be successful. And we welcome Tiffany Allen Hampton to The Morning Briefing. Tiffany, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Eric. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm glad that we're getting to talk to you about Grunt Fit, which, of course, is another wonderful thing coming out of our partners over at Grunt Style. But first, let's oh, talk yes. about Tiffany Allen Hampton, another wonderful thing over at Grunt Style. As I mentioned, an <laughs> okay. Army veteran. So tell us just a little bit about your service, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you served in that Army. All right. Well, I hail from uh, the great state of Illinois um, in Chicago, and I joined the Army in 2001. 
Um, so I joined the Army, served some time, went overseas for a little bit, and then I was actually doing the Army Reserves okay. and decided after a while that I wanted to go active, and so I did. Um, and it was a it was a great experience. Uh, learned a lot from it. Got the opportunity to travel, meet a lot of different people, um, and it was great. It was good. And so when I served in the military, I was actually um, under the logistics banner. So that's what I did for MOS. I was a nine twenty. Alpha, um, and so I managed a lot of the supply chain, a lot of the logistics, a lot of the warehouse transportation elements. Um, put all of those things together. It was very exciting for me. It was very exciting. You know, that's a job that I would think translates pretty well to the civilian world. So again, you said started off Army Reserves, decided to go active. When it came time to leave the Army and go back to that civilian world, what was that transition process like for you, Tiffany? Eric, it was rough. It was very rough Um, because when you think about it, the supply chain in the military is not the supply chain in the civilian world. I didn't know that at that particular point. Mm. Um, But before I transitioned out of the military, I actually got a certification um, in supply chain management. So I actually um, went ahead and got that certification, even though I already had my graduate degree in business. I wanted to just make sure that I was doing all the right things so that I can be attractive to civilian employers in that, in that realm, in the civilian realm. And so when I actually went over into um, a major retailer, um, it was, it was good, but it was, it wasn't the supply chain that I had fell in love with over um, a 14 and a half year period in the army. It was, it was different. It wasn't personable. It wasn't, you know, me visiting the warehouses and, and, and training up supply sergeants and that camaraderie wasn't there. It was very distant. Um, and so it was a difficult transition for me because here I am thinking that this was where I wanted to be. Um, and then I, I, I was put into that situation, just a different element. And it was just so different from what I had grown to love. You know, there is even in those job fields that would seem at face value to be a perfect one to be working in in the military to transition to the civilian world. Uh, as you found out, there are certainly some some barriers that pop up and some things that uh, aren't quite the same when you get out of the military. And of course, eventually you came to be part of the Grunt Style team. As I said, about a year ago, February 2017, you started working over yeah. at Grunt Style. So tell us how you first became involved with uh, Grunt Style, of course, one of the biggest veteran-owned companies out there. Yes, I have always been a fan of Grunt Style. Um, when the um, when the CEO Dan Alaric actually first started the company, I remember when he was uh, selling T-shirts out of his vehicle because I was purchasing them out of his vehicle. Um, <laughs> and so I have I have uh, been a, a very avid follower just of, of Grunt Style because I know my battle buddy, someone that I had served in the military with. Um, I knew that he lived and breathed that co- that company and that mission. And so when I actually got back in touch with, with Dan, I actually asked him to be my mentor because I was going into the entrepreneurial space and I just wanted to know, you know, about what he was doing, just, just that passion that drove him just a little bit deeper. And, and he was my mentor and we talked about some things that, that, that I wanted to do and my um, passion to serve and to, to empower people. Empowerment was, is, is, has always been my big thing. Um, and so he, he told me about a vision that he had about creating an app that would not be 
compatible for everybody, but for those that need it most, for those that just needed um, fitness, motivation, workout motivation, what foods to eat, just at the very basic and core level. And I shared that vision with him. And so that's how I joined the Grunt Style team. And that sounds like what would eventually become Grunt Fit, which is this app that Grunt Style has that's doing uh, some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, as I understand it, you guys kind of looked at it as a lot of the uh, the fitness apps tell you maybe what you have done instead of telling you what you need to do in addition to that. So tell us a little bit about Grunt Fit and, and what it is and where that idea grew from that first conversation. Okay, so we're veterans and we thrive when we know what the mission is. What is the mission? If you want to do something, there has to be a plan of execution. And so when when he approached me with the idea of grunt fit, and I said, this is great. This is great. And he said, this can be a drill sergeant in your pocket. And I loved it. I love that term. And think about it. A drill sergeant tells you what to do. They tell you exactly what you need to be successful. They don't necessarily hold your hand. They tell you what to do. If you do it, then you'll be successful. If you don't, then you'll be a no-go. And that's the basic element of GruntFit. We're telling you what you do, what you need to do to be successful. If you do it, then you will be successful. If not, then you will not be successful. Um, and, of course, there's some, flexi- some flexibility within that because we're talking about fitness, right? Fitness is not cookie cutter. It, it has a lot of different intricacies and, and, and different um, routes that it could take depending on that person's fitness level, um, whatever their goal is, their medical history. But we didn't want to get into all of that. We didn't want it to be too complicated. We want it to be at its best something that would just tell you what you needed to do to be successful. And then we would listen to the response of our users and we would evolve that app and we would make it better and we make it more dynamic. But at the core, we want it to be something that tells you what you need to do to be successful at the most basic level. We're speaking with Tiffany Allen Hampton, Army veteran and president of the Grunt Fit app, which is part of Grunt Style. Of course, one of the biggest veteran-owned companies out there and a proud partner here at ConnectingVets.com. Now, Tiffany, you say that this is based on a drill sergeant. Let me ask you, how much is it like? Is this thing going to yell at me and call me fat and all those things and do all those lovely (laughs) things that drill sergeants are known to do? I mean, how much like a drill sergeant is the Grunt Fit app and what is the user experience like? Oh, that's, you know, I get asked that question a lot. I don't want to be yelled at. No, this app will not yell at you, although I have considered putting elements in the app that will really tell you what to do and just kind of get hardcore. Um, One thing about weight loss, one thing about reaching any type of fitness goal, so it doesn't necessarily have to be weight loss. It could be gaining weight or maintaining weight. Is sometimes there there are emotional components that we, we fail to identify with. And so although... I am an army veteran. I thrive when there's pressure, when someone is over me saying, this needs to be done, do this, what are you going to do about it? Not everyone is that way. And so the GruntFit app is going to tell you what to do, but it's not going to yell at you. It's not going to demotivate you or, or make you feel like you're a failure. You can see your results. You can see if you've eaten your meals for the day or done your workouts. You can see that. And for us, that's enough right now. Now, we do have a lot of users. Uh, we do usability testing. We test our users. We want their feedback. We want their opinion. We want to know, hey, does the app 
How does the app look? And our, our users are extremely honest and critical, which is something that I absolutely love because as you get further and further into business, you can't take those criticisms personal. Like you, you really can't. That's their experience. And so some people want that hard element of, you know, get off of your butt, do some sit-ups. And then others are, no, I would just rather see it on the screen versus being reminded that I didn't meet my goal today. And so there's a balance. And so we are working on adding um, small elements within the app that will have that that micro uh, type of component of the drill sergeant, but not too much where it unmotivates someone to actually go inside of the app. Yeah, you don't want people crying when they're using their app on their phone because it told them, you know, it called them out on some things that may be accurate, but still may not be all that nice. We all and had to I go through basic, you know. My drill sergeants, I remember very vividly my drill sergeants, and they thrived on making people cry. It was, it was their their logic was we're tearing you down so that we can build you up. Um, we're, we're breaking down all of those barriers that you thought you knew about so that we can build you into something that we need you to be someone that's passionate about, you know, their country and their battle buddies and all of that stuff. And when you think about weight loss, you have a lot of people that are, that question things. I don't want to do this. And what are the micronutrients and what are the macronutrients? Sometimes people get caught up in all of those components of knowledge that they know that they miss the they miss what's right in front of them, just at the core, a basic uh, idea of what you need to eat, of what you need to do to work out. You know, it's interesting when you talk about your drill sergeants, uh, just as you said, reveling in making people cry. The producer of this very show, Jay Hughes, he's a drill sergeant and, and he likes oh, wow. making people cry. Dan Allerick, <laughs> founder of Grunt Style, he's a drill sergeant. I assume he likes making people cry. You heard it here. Tiffany Allen Hampton says drill sergeants are horrible people, but they make for a great fitness app. And that's what they're doing with Grunt Fit over at Grunt Style. So, Tiffany, I know over time, because I first heard about Grunt Fit, I, I think it was like six, seven months ago when it was still in its uh, its beta form, I believe. Over mm-hmm, time, mm-hmm. it's evolved. Is that the the hope that you basically continue evolving GruntFit and it keeps changing to basically become a better and better experience for users? And if so, how are you going to be able to do that? Absolutely. The app that we released on January 1st is different from the app that stands before you today, a month later. The app will look completely different um, as we go forth with the changes, with the revisions. This time next year, the app will be completely different. We wanted to push something out there that wasn't perfect, and we knew that it was not perfect. But it was something that our users wanted, our followers wanted. They, they, they actually demanded it. They would send uh, us emails, in particular me, and they would say, still waiting. And I would get all these little funny memes of crickets. And, and they were waiting on this app. And so we, we gave them what they wanted, but we told them, hey, we know that it is not perfect. But just grow with us. Help us make it better. Um, and let all of the, let, let's allow all of you, the users, this is what we tell the users, Give us your feedback and let us know what's working for you. Actually testing it as it's live. Um, And so when we launched the app on the 1st of January, there was such a high demand for it that it crashed our server. It killed us. It killed us. Um, Five hours in, five hours in, we had already thousands of people that had downloaded this app. And 
our server just couldn't take it. It was it was a phenomenal response for us, but it was a bad response for the users because they really wanted this app and all of a sudden they were unable to access it. So we had to go back and revisit some things. I had to go back and revisit some things. And so as I have been doing that over the last month, I'm constantly reaching out to the users and asking them, hey, what's working for you? Do you mind talking to them? to me for 30 minutes. Um, Let me know what's working. Let me know how you feel. What's your experience within the app? And they are so honest. And so we've taken that feedback and we've applied things within the app. Not all of the suggestions are there. Um, Just Friday, I sent out an email and within 30 minutes, I got 20 emails. Hey, you still don't have home workouts. (laughs) So these are things that we're still putting in the apps. But we can't do it, or I don't know what the need is until the users, you know, contact me and say, hey, this is something that I really want to see in the app. Can you do it? Absolutely. So we value that feedback. You know, I think it's important that you guys are doing it that way. I can think back. Do you remember when Apple decided to put a U2 album on everybody's iTunes account? Nobody asked for that. They did it, and it didn't work out very well for them. Uh, It seems like you guys are very based on customer feedback, which certainly is, uh, I think, the best way to go about business and to make sure that you're doing uh, the right thing with it. We're speaking with Tiffany Allen Hampton, president of the GruntFit app, which is through the Grunt Style Company, the largest post-9-11 veteran brand out there. She's an Army veteran, current doctoral student. You know, Tiffany, if someone were to come up to you and ask, I have a fitness app on my phone, why should I switch to GruntFit? What do you say to that person? Why not? Try it. (laughs) The app is not for everyone. I know that. We know that as a company. We know that as a brand. Nothing is invented for everyone. Try it and see if you like it. Give us a week. Give us two weeks. Do the workouts. If the meal plans don't work for you, you have different dietary restrictions. We even put an element within the app where you can add foods. So if if you don't eat eggs, you can substitute that with whatever it is that you would eat. It will manage your calories that way. Um, try the workouts. If, if the gym workouts isn't for you um, until we can get the home workouts, you know, get creative, go to the gym or try to do some of those gym workouts at home with what you have readily available in your home. Um, so I would, I tell people to try the app and see if it is for you. Give it a true try. Don't just download the app, look at it and say, oh, I don't feel like doing it. Um, at the basic level, the app is free and it's telling you what you need to eat um, and what you need to do as far as workouts, depending on whatever you your fitness goals are. And Eric, it's funny that you mentioned Apple, where Steve Jobs' philosophy or his motto was people don't, you know, know what they want until we tell them or until we give it to them or, or something to that matter. Um, we're a little different. Grunt Style has become successful because of the followers, because of the team, because of the, the they listen. They listen. When people comment on those posts, when people reach out to to the CEO or to the COO, Tim, when they reach out to them, they actually sit there and they listen. They listen. When people come and visit our um, home office here in Carroll Street, we take out the time. We give everyone that visits a tour, Mm -hmm. and we want to listen to your feedback. We want to know. So we pride ourselves on being that company that is so invested in the followers or in our users that we have a rebuild a relationship upon them. 
When that server crashed and people were emailing us, the company, we stayed up all night and we responded to most um, of those inquiries, uh, personally responded to them because we want to let them know, hey, you're you're not just going to get a chat bot. You're not just going to get this. You are going to get us and we're going to do everything that we can to make you feel comfortable or to make sure that you have the experience that you that you intended to have. Although not every uh, feedback or not every critique is, is, is considered, there are some constraints, but we test everything. We, we have team meetings, we, we look at things, we look at the data, and we take those, that feedback and we weigh it and we say, okay, this is what we're going to actually put into the app next. Um, this is what we're going to do within the next 30 days, 30 days after that, so on and so forth. So we're very intimately involved with the user um, and with our followers. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Steve Jobs saying the customer doesn't know what they want. People need to keep in mind that this was a man who typically wore black turtlenecks tucked into mom jeans without a belt. So (laughs) maybe he didn't have the best ideas about everything, even if he had some great technological ones. Speaking of technological ideas, the GruntFit app from our friends over at GruntStyle, a drill sergeant in your pocket that's got custom meal planning, personalized workouts, all sorts of great things out there, which, you know, it's free, it's available to people, and it's it's going to help combat something, hopefully, that is a, a significant issue in the veteran community, Tiffany, and that is the unhealthiness that so many of us, you know, unfortunately, myself included, trying to get uh, back on the fitness train here personally, uh, uh, doing some stuff now, but there's a lot of us who get out and just kind of balloon up way past any weight that we were while we were in partially because we just don't have that, you know, the camaraderie of working out together, going on a group Mm -hmm. run, going to the gym, having PT, command PT, all that stuff. How important do you think it is for veterans to uh, find the right way for them, whether it's through grunt fit or something else, to be able to focus on staying healthy so that they, you know, so that they hang around a little while longer? That's a great question. One thing that I have noticed being a veteran that has transitioned within the last three years is, we need community. We need community. The military offers us community. And a lot of us go into the military before we have the opportunity to experience community anywhere else outside of the home. And so the military gives us that. Um, and not only that, it, it, it bonds us to people that we would not normally be bonded with. Um, and so when a veteran is separated from that military, they're missing that community if they haven't established it uh, before they transitioned out. And, you know, another component with the military is the frequent travel, the, the high adrenaline all the time. You're always on the go. You're always moving. And now you're sedentary. Now you, you find a job where you're sitting all day. You, you're working eight hours. You're sitting at least seven, um, if not longer. You're, you're sitting in front of a computer. You're eating at your desk. That activity is no longer there. And even if you wake up at 6 a.m. to do PT, um, you're still sedentary all day. Right. You're sitting in your car. You have a long commute. You're sitting. So that, that active component is missing. And with that, too, and I, I don't really want to get extremely deep because there's so many layers to this. There's depression. There's um Uh, that low self-esteem because maybe they're having a difficult time transitioning. Maybe they were um, very established with their credibility and rank in the military. And now they get out of the military and they're looking for work and they're, they're meeting these recruiters that are saying you're not qualified enough. 
whereas they commanded, you know, 25, 50 troops. And, and now, so there's, there's all of these emotional components. So what the Grunt Set app is doing is it is building a community. It's slowly building a community of people that can talk about these different barriers so that we know how to address these barriers through fitness and through nutrition because it's very important. And all things being considered, there are so many different factors that affect the veteran when they transition out of the military. And it's actually something that I'm doing my research on um, as I pursue my doctoral degree. Is veteran transition into the civilian workforce because it's absolutely a thing. Um, when I got out of the military, I was guilty. I did the exact same thing. I told myself that I would keep up my PT. I told myself that I would do all of these things that I had become accustomed to within the military, but then life happened. Mm. But then I got a job where I was sitting behind a desk all day, but then I, I, I didn't have time to go for a two mile run. I didn't have time to do the push ups because I wanted to watch TV and enjoy <laughs> my new life. Right? right. I wanted that donut with the coffee. I, I wanted to experience all of these things that I hadn't necessarily allowed myself to experience. And then it got out of hand. Yeah. Um, and so I had to, I had to not only correct myself, but I had to correct myself emotionally. I had to correct my, I had to do a lot of checks and balances and it did not take a day. It took, you know, a year, two years for me to, to make sure that I was falling in place with the things that I needed to do to make, to remain healthy. And so that's why I'm so passionate about the Grumpfit app because people need it. For those recently separated veterans, maybe they just need to be told what to do. Maybe yeah. that's what they're used to. And so that's what I want to give them. I want to tell them what to do. But for that patriot who's not a veteran, maybe they need that same element of discipline instilled within their, their workout regimen. So I want to just tell them what to do. Because we can sit here and say that we know everything we need to do and we know our bodies and we know what's going to work for me. But the thing is, if it's not working, if what you're doing is not working, then you need to find a different way. You know, it's very true. When we get out, sometimes there's things like, I grew a beard. That was intentional. I had to shave every day for 13 years. So when I got mm -hmm. out, I stopped doing that. Unintentionally, I had to work out and do be very physical when I was in the military. I stopped doing that when I got out, too. So along mm -hmm. with the beard, I grew a bit of a gut. But GruntFit is working to address that issue, help address it for many in the veteran community and those who are not veterans, in fact. And we've been speaking with Tiffany Allen Hampton, president of the GruntFit app, which is part of the Grunt Style Company, our partners over there. Now, Tiffany, if people are interested in finding out more about GruntFit and interested in downloading the app, how do they go about doing it? The app is actually on the App Store for iTunes, and it's on the Google Play Store. They can go um, to any of those um, platforms. They can download us. They can actually reach us, uh, or they can visit our website at www.gruntfit.com, gruntfit.com. They can follow us on Facebook. We look at all of those messages or our Instagram um, page. They can follow us there or messages there, um, but they can also reach out to us. So we're gruntfit at gruntstyle.com. That's where they can reach us um, on email. We look at all of those emails. We don't just, you know, delete, delete, delete. We right. actually go through those emails. We want to know what people are saying. We want the feedback. Um, we want the critique, but we also want the praise. 
we want the praise and we want to know what we're not doing right and we want to know how we can make it better. We want to thank Tiffany Allen Hampton, president of Grumpfit, for joining us on The Morning Briefing. Tiffany, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Eric. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 